Well, good morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, if you would. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be continuing our series on uh, new wineskins for you. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 9. I'd like to ask you to stand as we read the scripture this morning. Stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17, read, Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. You can be seated. <clears throat> We're talking about new wineskins, and our theme this year, is, as most of you know by now, is the word new. Uh, just new. And We're talking about new, a lot of new things, and doing things uh, new ways, and taking a new, fresh look at the way we do things. Quite honestly, the way things have been done in the past, uh, in, in in the church in general, has not been as effective as it needed to be. And yeah, there are some that are are gangbusters, there are some that are doing great, but by and large, uh, in the church, uh, we're losing ground. So the idea of this sermon is to kind of ask ourselves, How do we put the brakes on? What do we need to do? And this message is the bridge between the problem. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I preached a two-week message on what the problem was, right? This is the bridge between the problem and the solution. Next week, we're going to start getting into what can we do that's new? What can we as a church and what can we as individuals buy into philosophically and Beyond philosophy, into actions as well. What can we do that's new to kind of bring about change and make things uh, move forward? The, the title of this message is Putting the Brakes On. Okay? And so what can we do to put the brakes on? The first thing I said was this. If you watched last week, if you were here last week, you remember, we need to start asking God to make us better. Too many times we get stuck in the past. Too many times we get stuck in neutral. And we're stuck right where we're at. And or we regress. You know, a lot of times if you, unless you're on flat level ground, if your vehicle is in neutral, you're going to roll one way or the other, right? And if you're on a hill, uh, won't ask anybody if they've ever parked on a hill and forgot to set the parking brake, uh, especially in an old uh, car with stick shift. And uh, some people are looking down, they look up and look down, so maybe that means that they had that happen. And uh, the vehicle rolls away, but uh, being stuck in neutral is not where we want to be as well. So what we need to do, one of the first things, it's, it can be fearsome, it can be a struggle, it can even be intimidating. Especially those of us who are a little bit older in life, it could be intimidating to try to bring about change and try to go through change in our lives. But if we've learned nothing from this past year, uh, nothing, if we simply stay, stay stagnant, if we simply stay um, static in our lives, 
then we're going to lose ground. So we need to ask God to make us better. The second thing we said was the issue, we need to resist the urge to be cool relevant. Resist the urge to be cool relevant. And what I meant by that was we need to understand that Christ has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of doing things just because the world does them and attracts a crowd and think that that's how we're going to build a church. And the third thing was to be consistent in our line drawing. Be consistent in our line drawing. My challenge to you was to ask yourself, where do you draw your lines? And we're talking here morality and ethics wise. Where do you draw your lines? If you're a business owner, where do you draw your ethical lines in business? What will you do and will you not go further in your business practices? If you're a parent, if you're a married couple, whatever, whatever your station and position in life, whatever you are in life, where do you draw your lines? And I challenged you to ask yourself that. Where do I draw my lines and what will, uh, what is, where is my line for anything? And do my lines draw, uh, do my lines publicly. That brings us to the next point where we're going to continue on with this message. What is the fourth thing we need to do to put the brakes on? And I think this is, this one is, I think, incredibly relevant and incredibly important. We need to stop being distracted from the mission. We need to stop being distracted from the mission. That begs the question, what is the mission for followers of Jesus? Well, quite honestly, the mission that we find that for followers of Jesus, we find in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, find in Acts 1, 8, it's to, once we accept Christ, it's to grow in our faith and then to make disciples of others. And by the way, that doesn't just mean sharing the gospel and winning people to Christ. That means growing people in their faith. Someone once said, don't let the noise of the world keep you from hearing the voice of God. Distractions are Satan's biggest weapon, I believe, in life for Christians. Because distractions can come from any direction. They can come from anything in life and anyone in life. And what they do is take our attention away from something that really matters. And they, they just create noise and they, they, they demand attention. And if we're not careful, we'll be distracted from following Christ, we'll be distracted from ministry, we'll be distracted from service, and most importantly, we'll be distracted from our own personal walk and growth in our faith by things of no eternal importance. Many things that we think are important or necessary are simply distractions from, G from what Jesus wants us to do. Many things that we place our importance and our value on are simply distractions. How do you know what a distraction is? How do you know what's important? Well, I think, once again, it's getting back to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about things? What does the Bible say your, your, your priorities should be? What does the Bible say is important for you as a follower of Christ? 
I'll tell you, I, I have a lot of conversations with other pastors and, and discuss back, or sometimes heatedly discuss back and forth about things that, that matter and things that don't matter. And I'm of the belief that, uh, you know, you, you can get upset with me or not if you want with this one. I don't particularly care one way or the other. I'm of the belief that politics just don't matter to Christians. They truly don't. We need to be good citizens. Yes, we do. We need to participate. We need to follow the law. We need to pay our taxes. You need to vote. But in the long and short of it, with eternity in mind, politics are not what this church should be about. And politics are not what your life as a follower of Christ should be about. Unless that's your calling, unless that's your job, Spending all your time worrying about what's going on in Washington or Boston or Hartford if you live in Connecticut or what's going on in the town council, unless it affects what you do as a Christian, getting caught up in those things and allowing them to take priority in your life. Once again, I'm not saying ignore them completely. I'm saying if we allow them to become the priority in our life, then they're becoming a distraction from what Jesus has called us to do. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 says, For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let me ask you that question. Season, we just came through a, an incredibly tumultuous year, and they still won't stop. Right? It still won't stop. Where people are just beating up on each other politically, and Christians are doing the same thing. The what I don't once again doesn't really matter to me what's what stand what side you stand on with what happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C. I think it was horrible. Quite honestly, that's not the way we do things in America. We don't we don't go in and, and tear up our, our buildings and, and threaten people. We surely don't kill people just because we didn't win an election. That's not the way we handle things in America, but that's John the citizen, okay? But in that, in, on that day, there were Christians and even pastors involved in that. Well, what in the world, man? <laughs> what in the world were, what, what in the world? God, ask yourself the honest question. Is God ashamed to be called the God of America right now? I mean, if that's our standard, seriously, if that's our standard, if we're supposed to desire a better country, if we're supposed to desire, if we want to claim America is a country that God loves and God favors, which is what so many people say, ask yourself the question, is God proud of America right now? I don't think so. We could sit down and have that conversation if you'd like. As a Christian, looking at the word of God, looking at the way we are supposed to, uh, supposed to live, the way we're supposed to represent Jesus Christ, we're missing the mark. And many times, in many instances, and in many cases, and in many lives and churches, that's the case exactly. We are not representing Jesus and the kingdom of God the way we're supposed to. Politics causes the abundant life. I got, a, got his heating bill for the week, his electric bill for the week, when, it went, when the temperatures went so low because, because of the way their system is set up. His heating bill for one week, his electric bill for one week, no lie, $17,000. Because they, there's deregulation in Texas. So supply and demand, it was just more. <laughs> How's that abundant life working for you now? You work and work and work to save money, to save money, to put it all away. 
one week you'll get wiped out because you put your emphasis and focus on money, on finances, on that abundant life because God doesn't want your wallet to be empty. That's just a distraction from what he's called us to do. Celebrity preachers, man, it, over and over and over again, we're seeing pastors and, and national pastors fall. It's like every week we're seeing it happen. Why? Because we're distracted. They're distracted from what's going on. And people are, it, it, when that happens, as the pastor with his celebrity, he was going from party to party to party. Well, he fell, and what happened? All the celebrities bailed on him. Why? Because the focus wasn't Jesus Christ and the Word of God. There were distractions. Not just those things, but selfish desires, false offense. I think that's one of the biggest things that we're guilty of as Christians today. We get offended by every, everything and everybody. In church, I am the firm belief that if you're a believer that is growing in Christ, you cannot be offended, really, according to the word of God. Because you only answer to God. What somebody else does in their life, the choice they make in their life, well, that's up to them. So you are responsible to God for yourself, and so are they. Therefore, if they make a mistake, if they fall, if they turn away, that's on them, not you. So you should still be able to move forward. Somebody else falling should not be the cause of the destruction of your walk with the Lord. You say, well, Pastor John, you're sounding kind of harsh this morning. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Why? Because we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle for lives and we're losing the battle for souls. And if we don't start realizing that these things are just distractions that keep us away from following Christ, we'll never get past them. The blame game, lack of integrity, not having personal responsibility, all of these things are just distractions from following Christ. Listen, we've allowed the familiar to become fatal to our walk. We've allowed the familiar to become fatal to our walk. What, is I, what do I mean? Allowing others to be strong, spiritual, and powerful in our place. Once again, remember what I said, what I've said for the last several weeks. This series was born out of seeing what's happening to the church during the COVID era. How many of you thought in your lifetime you would be, not, you would be told by the government that you could not go to church on Sunday in America? And what happened? A lot of Christians have stopped going to church. We've allowed the familiar to become fatal. What do you mean by that? Well, we just took it for granted that we'd always have church, right? We just took it for granted that, well, if I just wanted to show up, it'll be there for me. When I decide to get my life right with God, when I decide to start getting back in church, when I decide to start engaging with my faith again, it'll always be there. Well, guess what? It hasn't been there this past year for most people. And it's shown. We've allowed the familiar to become fatal to our walk with Jesus. <clears throat> These lukewarm feelings have become normal for many Christians. Margaret Feinberg said, God did not create you to live a distracted life. 
God created you to live a Jesus-infused life. 1 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7 say, Therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through praying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. Focusing on issues and focusing on distractions instead of people will result in distraction, will result in anger. I mean, right now, right now, I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and say his name in, the, in church. I try not to get po- political, but folks, can we, can we let the former president just go into retirement? I'm serious. Can we just let him go? I don't care whether you love him or hate him. I personally really don't care. He's not the president anymore. He has no power in your life. He can't pass a law. He can't do anything. I remember many years ago, I preached a series on a safari, kind of like the roadkill series, and it was on the 10, uh, 10 of the most hunted animals on a safari. And one of them was the African Cape buffalo. The African Cape buffalo is a crazy animal. It's like a big cow but it has an incredible mean streak. The African Cape Buffalo, once it gets to safety, the African Cape Buffalo will turn around, no lie, it will turn around and it will track down its hunter. It will track down its hunter. And it will attack its hunter. Now this is a, this is a buffalo, it's like a cow. It will attack its hunter and it will kill it. And once it kills what was hunting it, it will continue to attack the corpse. And it will grab the corpse in its mouth and throw the corpse up in the air over and over and over again. And just be kind of like, remember, some of you might be too young for this, the cartoon strip Beetle Bailey, where Sarge would beat Beetle and he'd beat him up and Beetle would be laying there in a, in a, crazy crushed up mass on the ground. And that's what the African Cape Buffalo does to the animal that it, or or we just won't let it go. Listen, that's nothing but a distraction. That some of you, the past of your life are, yet you refuse to let them go and it becomes a distraction. And that keeps you from following Jesus Christ. Anger towards others, resentment, a desire to fight everybody over everything. And that, it, it just seems that that's where we're at today, in the church as well. A loss, it, it results in a loss, for bur, a, a loss of a burden for the lost. And quite honestly, it results in division in the church. And that's the, the greatest heartache because Jesus said that one of, one, of the, one of Jesus' final prayer requests to the Father was that we would all, not along political lines, they're dividing us in our churches. And that's sad. 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may devote it to the Lord without distraction. Read that again. It's up on the screen. If you, if you have your Bible, read it. If, it. if you don't have your Bible, read it on the screen. I think it's on, our, on the, uh, the feed as well. 
I'm saying this to you for your benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. See, when you, when you listen to me rant about things like that, you can have your own opinion. You can say, oh, Pastor John is just an old whatever, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. But when the Bible says the exact same thing, does that change it for you? Does that make you what I'm allowing into my life and what I'm allowing my mind to be taken over by and what I'm, allowed, what I'm allowing to distract me from following Christ? Because folks, make no mistake, we are in a position and a place in in this life, in this world, in our country, in the church right now, where we're losing people because of distraction. Distractions are a scheme of Satan and they are effective. Hell will be filled with unreached human souls because of distracted followers of Jesus. Hell will be filled with unreached souls because of distracted followers of Jesus. And many Christians will never grow beyond the baby point in their lives. We have a a family that had a baby yesterday. Elvin and Tatiana. I should always, I always feel guilty if I say the man's name first, the husband's name, because he was just like the cheerleader. It goes on. That baby is going to grow and mature. Going to get to a point, I mean, we all know this. Going to get to the point where they're, he's eating uh, solid food and walking and talking and driving a car. And we expect that to be normal. But what happens in the Christian life is we see people come to know Jesus and then we let them get distracted or we get distracted from our responsibility of discipling them and we allow them to stay babies in Christ. And then what do we expect to happen? If we have not discipled those who have come to us, who God has allowed to come into our lives and our ministry, if we have not discipled them and helped them grow in their faith, and then they wander off, what do we expect to happen? If you leave a baby from their biological parents, it was because they were left in their crib for 15, 16 hours a day with no bottle, no diaper change. My boys said that we were having dinner one night and they started telling us a story. And the reason we knew the story was true is because it is in their DCF file. Started telling us a story of when they were in cribs and they helped each other climb out of their cribs because they tried to, they needed, they, they wanted to get something. You know how old they were? Nine months old. Nine months old. What do you expect? What do you expect? What would you expect to happen to a baby if it was just abandoned? And wasn't, well, we're doing the same thing with babes in Christ. We're abandoning them. We think that putting on a show and letting it take them to a concert and helping them, you know, giving them the, the website or giving them an online whatever so they can join another faith and grow ourselves in our faith. That's our responsibility. What's the next thing that we need to put the brakes on? We need to stop chasing wins and start chasing results. Stop chasing wins and start chasing results. And I, may, I know that may sound 
That may not be something that is easily understandable at first, but let me explain to you what I'm talking about here. We need to stop trying to show everybody how smart we are. We need to stop showing everybody how fair we are. We need to stop show, trying to show everybody how woke we are. Because you know, when we do those kind of things, when we try to show everybody how, how, how woke we are in our faith, we just had a, there's a, there's a local church in our area that had this problem recently. And that church is now selling their building because they allowed politics, the Me Too movement, and all these distractions that had nothing to do. You can get upset with me all you want, man. Seriously. All these things have nothing to do with the church. Unless you can find it in the word of God, it has nothing to do with the church. And it's a disgrace that we see churches being split over political ideology. But that's because we're chasing wins. Worrying about what they think we are and start representing Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? We say it all the time. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. While we're being distracted by trying to prove how cool we are, and how woke we are. People are dying and going to hell. What else does this mean? We need to stop trying to win the argument. <laughs> we need to stop trying to win the argument. Let me speak to white people. Can I just, can I just say this? White folks, me included. Stop trying to win the argument about racism. You don't have a clue. Can I just tell you that? As a white man raising two brown sons who has really dove, who has really dove into this whole process, I'm realizing that I don't have a clue as to what people of color feel. We had, you know what, you know what? <laughs> I, while the worship team was singing, I went out uh, seeing if anybody else was coming in today at the front door. There was an East Long Meadow police officer sitting in our driveway. He was sitting right at the end of our driveway. You know what my thought was? Some of our brown folks are just going to drive right by the church this morning. Because for some reason, an East Long Meadow police officer is sitting at the driveway of our church when, we're, when our services are starting, and brown people know that they're not incredibly welcome in East Long Meadow, am I right? I am absolutely right. Ask them. You see, the problem is down with our brown brothers and sisters and ask them. Sit down and talk with our, our uh, pastor of cross-cultural communication here, Osvaldo Mora. Talk to his family. Because he's told me. He's seen it. And they're, they're brand new. They've been here for four years. They see it. Talk to some of the other members of our congregation who have a different skin tone than you. And stop, <laughs> stop being offended 
because you didn't own a slave. <laughs> Seriously, that is the lamest thing to say. Well, I did. Of course you didn't own a slave. You're not 400 years old for crying out loud. But it doesn't mean that there aren't residual effects. And we could go on and on and on and on about this, and that's not what this is about. Stop trying to win the argument on racism and educate yourself and just start loving each other. Something on Facebook last night, you can go to his Facebook page and look it up, about reparations. <laughs> you would not believe the way white people responded to him. I mean, just trashing Christians, trashing a brother in Christ over this kind of stuff. Stop. Stop trying to win that argument because all it's doing is distracting you from your purpose. Stop trying to defend it. I will say this, okay? I will ask you this rhetorical question. When you try, to, when white people try to defend racism, and when white people try to say, well, I didn't own slaves, or I didn't do that, or I didn't do this, do you realize what you're making yourself look like to people of color? Seriously. Do you really, when you make those kind of comments, my two brown sons, I'll go to war for those boys, but I'm terrified that someday some of these crazy white Christians are going to do crazy things to my brown boys. Why? Because they say those kind of things. Because white Christians defend that kind of action. Folks, this is ridiculous. We're chasing wins rather than chasing results. <clears throat> we need to stop celebrating the big splash. We need to stop celebrating. You know, the Bible doesn't say when a celebrity comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. The Bible says when a sinner chooses Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. So we need to start celebrating every life that is turned to Christ equally. And put our efforts into reaching them and developing in them and discipling them and showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Wins are about us. Results are about eternity. Wins are something we can put in our collar. Well, I, I really told them that time. I really made my point that time. Well, are you a maker of a point or a seeker of truth? See, there's a big difference. Is it your desire simply to make your point and to win your argument? Or are you truly trying to get the truth of the gospel to those who need to hear it? First Peter 3, 4 says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Rather than winning, hi Jack, waving to my grandson, rather than winning the inner person of the heart, because what does the Bible say? What's in the heart comes out through the mouth. What's in the heart is lived out in the life. And if we work on what's in our heart, isn't that it, you know, I know, I know Paul says, in, in Romans 7, he, taught, he gives that passage, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. 
and it's just kind of twisted back and forth. It's like, it's like going through an S-curve all the time through that passage. And I know that we have to get through the, the human temptations to get to the desire. But if you can dig down into your heart and really get alone with God and get honest with God and say, God, this is what my desire is. Okay, I know, how, I know the mistakes I'm making in life. I know where I'm messing up. But God, you know in my heart, in my deepest heart of hearts, you know what my passion and desire, my desire is to serve you. Now, I struggle every day to live that out, God, but in my heart of hearts, my desire is to serve you. Man, that's the hidden man, of the hidden person of your heart. And that's what you need to work on. Because as you work on that part, it will grow out into a life of godliness and holiness. And it will come out of your mouth as speech that is pleasing to God. Rather than working on the outside, which is what we did for so many years in church, right? We were more concerned about how men cut their hair and how long women's dresses were than we were about what was going on in their hearts. Peter says it's the hidden person of the heart that truly matters. It's not about wins. It's about what's in the heart that truly matters. Seeking truth and not trying to make a point. Stop trying to win every argument. Stop trying to be the smartest person in the room. Stop trying to, to just destroy people because they don't agree with my commands. For they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and with people. What's another way we chase wins? We chase the mountaintop experience. We constantly try to get that mountaintop experience. Amy Grant, man, way back, way, I think it was in the 70s, Amy Grant sang a song, Mountaintop. I'd love to live on the mountaintop. Wouldn't we all like to live on the mountaintop as Christians? Your best day with God, wouldn't it be great if every day was your best day with God? Wouldn't it be awesome? But that's not reality. That's not reality at all. We may be looking, I, I had an old pastor back in, when I was stationed at Fort Riley in Kansas, way, way, way back in the 80s. He said, we may be looking for the sweet by and by. I want to be on the mountain. You know what I'm talking about. Man, you go to a, a Christian concert or you have a worship, a time of amazing worship. But maybe if it's even Sunday mornings for you where you're together and with your brothers and sisters and worshiping and singing and listening to the word of God. Those great mountaintop experiences, those are awesome. But if all we do is continue to see mountaintop experiences, we'll never learn how to live and grow in the valley. And in the valley is where he restores your soul. You understand that, right? In the valley is where he restores your soul. David said in Psalm 23, beginning of verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He renews my life. He leads me along paths of righteousness. He restores me. He renews up. I mean, those are the special times. Those are the times that give us the, 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 the strength to go on. But it's in the valley where we learn the lessons. 
But that's what we've become as a church in America, constantly going from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, seeking that mountaintop experience. It's like being an adrenaline junkie as a Christian. We have to learn that God speaks. Remember Elijah? Elijah, he was on the mountain and, and God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the wind. God was in the still small voice. And lastly, the sixth thing I think we need to do to put the brakes on leads us into our next series of messages. We need to constantly desire and take action to become new wineskins. Constantly become new wineskins. Well, I accepted Christ, so I was made new. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. Paul said, I die every day to sin. Every day. Are you there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a position or a place where you, that, that struggle is real? And every day you need to get up and say, God, I have to get, I, I, have, to, I have to surrender this to you. And I have to die to this desire in my life. Because I know what the struggle is going to be. And I need to start my day off, God, giving this struggle to you and asking you to give me the strength to endure it. Maybe you were, I won't ask you to raise your hands because you might give yourself away, but maybe you work with a person that is just horrible to work with. I worked the docks for 12 years and I was in the army for four, and dock workers, men that are dock workers, they're not known for their gentility. <laughs> they're not known for their, uh, their, uh, their graciousness. It's a, it's a group of teamsters is what it is, right? I'll tell you, in order to survive working there when not allowing that to take over and not allowing myself, it's very easy for us to just go right in and get right in with the crowd at work and become one of them and not stand out. It's very easy to do that. What's more difficult is to stand on your faith and to stand up to those guys and stand every, I need the strength today, God, to stand against that way of life. Some of you are recovering from different addictions in your life. And you know the daily struggle, the daily battle that it is. How many of you know that you can be going along just fine and everything can be wonderful and one thing happens and it triggers you and the battle becomes engaged? Whew. You need to daily die to sin. That's what Paul said. Daily become New wineskins. The God who made us can also remake us. That's what Woodrow Kroll said. Putting new wine into old wineskins will result in the loss of both. We've said that many times. But the idea about hitting reset, but it's about making everything new in our lives. It's about making everything new. There are two ways that 
we can be made new wines. There are two ways that wineskins can be made new. One is that you can make a brand new wineskin. That happens at salvation. As, as we make the, the, the spiritual application of what Jesus was using here, this illustration Jesus was using, a new wineskin back in those days, they just took, uh, they just took a, a, an animal skin and made a new wineskin. Well, spiritually, when you accept Christ as your Savior, He makes you new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. He's given us new life. We have new life in Christ. So the very first step in, in becoming a new wineskin is to accept Jesus as your Savior. Realize that you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do about that on your own. That Jesus gives you a new life and makes you a new wineskin. But what does that mean for us? Because we believe in eternal security. We believe that once you accept Christ, you are saved. You are safe and you are marked and you're given an unction of the Holy Spirit. And you have a mark on the Holy Spirit, a seal that cannot be broken. You cannot be taken out of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. And that's what the Bible teaches. So how do we become new wineskins? If we can't get saved all over again... How do we become new wineskins? Well, there's a really crazy process that they put old wineskins through. If they, if they don't want to make a brand new wineskin, they'll take an old wineskin and they'll soak it in water. And they'll leave it in water. And they'll just leave it there until the, the moisture in that wineskin, they take oil. And they'll, they used to rub the oil into it and soften it up and make it usable again. And that way, it will restore the pliability. It would restore the elasticity to the wineskin. So there was a way to renew an old wineskin, but man, it was a tough process. And it was, a arduous, it was an arduous process to go through. It was a lot of work, but it could be done. Hey, in our lives... There is a way to be made a new wineskin. Personal revival, turning from sin, a total change of life as a believer. Think the prodigal son. Think the prodigal son. What he had to do, completely renounce his life and turn back to the father. That's what the prodigal son did, and he was a new man. And that's what we have to do. Renounce the old ways. Turn from every sin that might hinder. Renew yourself to a new devotion to the Savior. Jeremiah 17, 14. Jeremiah cried out, Heal me, O Lord, and I will, shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus told us exactly what we need to do. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, get rid of the distractions in life. Get rid of the things that weigh you down. Get rid of the things that take you away and take your focus away from Jesus Christ. And seek first the kingdom of God. And seek first His righteousness. Not your desires, not what you want, not what you think is best. Because every time we put ourselves in that place of prominence, every time we put ourselves in the lead in our lives, spiritually speaking, we fail. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he promises that all these things will be added to us. Complete renewal 
is talked about in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our Savior, our Lord, our brother Jesus Christ, the one who died and paid the price for us, he loves you so much that he is willing to say, you know what? What's past is past. Come together, let's move forward. Let's get beyond this. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know the hurt is still there. I know the struggle is still there. I know the temptation is still there. I know the addiction is still there. But I can walk with you, and I will walk with you, and I will take you to new places. But you, I'm not going to be that spouse that abandoned you. I'm not going to be that parent that didn't take care of you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you. Don't give up on your marriage because I can heal your marriage. Don't give up on your children because I can make you a better parent so that your children have a shot at life. You see, he says, I've begun a good work that I will complete if you'll allow me to. Psalm 51.10, David cried out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 2 Corinthians 4.16, uh, I didn't write that one down correctly, my fault. You have that one on, yeah, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found and found to them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've left your first love. I feel like that's where we're at in the church in America today. And I feel quite honestly, I'm just being honest, folks, I feel like that's where a lot of our church is at. Yeah, we're going through the motions. Yeah, we're going to church. Yeah, we're doing these things and, and we're making all the right statements and all the right comments, but we've left our first love. And we're distracted by so many other things. We're allowing everything to come before God in our lives. And we're so worried about getting a virus rather than trust. And I, listen, I've had it. I know. I had the plan for my life and for your life, and he's going to see that plan to completion. And if you allow fear to overcome your faith, then you're never going to grow. And that's what we've allowed to happen. And we've become lukewarm. Jesus goes on here, he says, remember there from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from this place and yes, unless you repent. These, these people had become cold to the things of God and the life of faith had become routine. The life of faith had become a life of routine for them. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Sound like what's going on? Just going through the motions? Going along to get along? <clears throat> For these people, the life of Christianity was nothing but lifeless orthodoxy. That simply means it was just 
stale, empty religion. And that's what's happening today. Quite honestly, it's what's happening with a lot of new lifers. It's stale orthodoxy. I'm going to go ahead and say it. If I, want to th- if I want to put on a barbecue, I can get a ton of volunteers to help with the barbecue. But if I want to put on a Bible study, crickets. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's what all of this is about. We'll jump to get into the fun stuff, and I'm about to fall off that stage. We'll jump to do the fun stuff, but the work on our faith. What is the transformational process? First thing you got to do that Jesus said here is you got to remember. Education before execution. Education before execution. You must remember. Remember where you're fallen. Remember what you learned. Remember what you're supposed to be doing. Second thing, repent. Repent. Be honest about the fact that you're in sin and you're away from God. And the third one is act. Take action. Take action. I'm hearing a lot of excitement about the Wednesday night program that's coming up. I'm hearing a lot of excitement. And I'm praying. I'm praying that that excitement will have follow through. Because folks, that's what we need. Crazy thing here is this. At the end of that passage, maybe you've read this Revelation chapter 2 before, and you've said, what does that mean that it'll take their lampstand out of its place? You know what that means? That if you don't do what God has called you to do, he will take his favor off of your life, and he'll take your, his blessing off of your life, and he'll give it to somebody else. You see, God's going to bless, and God's work is going to be done. If you choose not to do it, he's going to take his favor off of your life and give it to somebody else. I don't like taking members from other people's churches. But if a church is going to shut down during all of this time, I will more than happily welcome their people in because people need a place to go to church. And if you're not strong enough to lead through this kind of situation, and this is what we're here for, Then God, then, then God is going to take the blessing that he, he intended for you and give it to somebody else. The matter. So that begs the question, what do we need to do that's new? Come back next week and we'll start talking about that. Right?